Good morning, Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. Um, So if you don't have one, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use for the service uh, as we get back into 1 Peter and God's Word again. And uh, if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own currently, please just keep the one that you receive as our gift to you. Uh, It is an invaluable resource. Uh, Yeah, happy Super Sunday, um, or as some of us know it, um, it's just the day after Hockey Day in Minnesota. So it's really not that big a deal. Yesterday was far more important. Um, Hey, I want to talk just for a minute about uh, last Sunday, last Sunday evening, um, the the gathering that we had here for prayer. Um, I just want to thank you for that, for how meaningful that was. It really was a beautiful time where we had about 70 of us come together and just lift up the needs of this congregation, especially when it comes to illness and some physical challenges that people here are facing and the people that we know are facing. It was an absolutely beautiful time together, and I'm really grateful that we were able to take that opportunity. Um, Certainly set a bit of a tone for us for the future. Um, We will have another one of those gatherings. The next one will be March 13th, um, right here at Chapel Hill Church that Sunday evening. So prepare for that. Get March 13th on your calendar and come as we gather together and pray for each other. It's so important. So powerful, and um, even this week I was able just to see the power of prayer, how much God cares and how eager he is to respond when we come to him, when we seek him with the things that we're facing. So um, plan to be there for that. All right. In the past, I have talked about two things several times. I have talked about our position and our purpose. Anybody remember me using those two words? Position and purpose. I've talked about that before, and I want to talk about that again this morning and put some of what Peter is saying in 1 Peter into perspective regarding those two things, our position and our purpose. We've talked before about our position, and our position as followers of Christ, those who have been adopted into Christ's family, our position then is being in Christ. That is the position that God has given us now. And Peter has addressed this very thoroughly in First Peter. He's talked about our position, about our identity, about who we are, about where we stand with God now that we have given our lives to Christ and allowed him to come in and change us, to transform us. We are positioned now in Christ. I want you to finish some of these, uh, these phrases from First Peter 2.9 um, that we've looked at multiple times now. This has kind of been the theme verse for our series on First Peter that we've called The Light. 1 Peter 2.9 talks about some realities of who we are as Christ followers. And so finish these descriptions for me. Peter says, you are a chosen race. He says, you're a chosen race. And let me make sure that that does not come to you. You're not hearing that as, well, I'm Scots-Irish, clearly God's chosen race. That's not what he's talking about here. This has nothing to do with that. That word race refers to a people, a family, those who have been adopted into God's family specifically. We are a chosen race. And then Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. Good, you're getting this. He says, you are a holy nation and you are a people for his own 
possession, a people for God's own possession. This is our identity. This is who I am. This is who you are as one who belongs to the family of God. You are these things. You are, you fit this. This is your identity. And we, we agree readily with these truths, don't we? When I say these things about us, we're quick to say amen, although most of us say that inside, not out loud. We are quick to agree with those things and say, yep, that's me. That's exciting. I'm encouraged by that. I'm strengthened by that. That's confirming to me. I love that I am a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. I love that that's who I am. Yes, Lord, that's me. That's my identity. We get excited about that, don't we? That's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. And Peter so far has been very, very intentional about laying these things out about who we are. He didn't just talk about those things in 1 Peter 2, 9. He talked about all kinds of things leading up to this point in our study. He talked about the fact that we are chosen. We are elect. He talked about the fact that we are foreknown by him. He knew us and loved us before we even existed. He talked about the fact that we've been sanctified, that we've been cleansed, that we've been made to be born again that we're saved, that we're loved, that we've been made holy. He talked about the fact that we are living stones, that we are priests, that we make up his people, make up the dwelling place of God. And these are all beautiful, beautiful things that talk about our position in Christ and all of these things. We look at them and we go, yes, that's us. I love that. And we agree with that. We've also talked several times about our purpose. And our purpose, as I've said before, is to be like Christ, to become like Christ. That's our purpose. And there's much, much more on this coming in First Peter. Uh, Peter is going to write about our conduct. He's going to write about submission to authority. We're going to have to look at that. He writes about submission in marriage. We're going to look at that. He talks about submission in the workplace. He talks about persecution. He talks about self-control. He writes about love. He writes about hospitality. He writes about leadership. He writes about humility. He spells out for us what our purpose is. This is the way that we are to live, and we're going to get into all those things. And we're going to start talking next week about loving our neighbors, and we're going to get very specific about loving our neighbors. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But these are our responsibilities. This is our purpose. We have a position, and we have a purpose. I am this. I will do these things. Our position is... And our purpose. But as much as we know these things, there appears to be this disconnect between the two. And I've seen this over and over and over again. And I I, I do not just mean in the lives of the people that I've observed and judged. In my own life, this disconnect between my position, my identity in Christ, and my purpose of becoming like Christ. Because oftentimes, I end up categorizing them, I end up separating them, and this position over here becomes really good theology that I love and I agree with. But then this purpose over here becomes this list of religious obligations that I have to fulfill. And I don't like that. Somewhere there has to be a connection between these two things. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. 
When we look at our purpose, we look at things that we, we know are the right things to do. We know that they're the right things to do. We know that we should do them. We know that we ought to do them. We know that we have to do them. And then over here, it becomes, because we look at it as religious obligation, it becomes this list of things to do, and it sets us up for this pass-fail mentality. We do them and we pass, and we feel good about our religious obligations and how we're carrying that out, our sense of duty, we're being obedient. But if we fail them, then we're surrounded with this feeling of guilt. No, I I blew an opportunity to do that again. We have this shame that comes down on us. Why didn't I do that? I feel bad about myself now. I forget that this is who I am because I didn't do these things. And so now I feel shame and I feel guilt and I feel bad about who I am as a person. And it sets up this opportunity for, for competition and comparison. We compare ourselves then to other people. We look at other people and go, okay, well, this person has got like four out of 10 on the list. They've got that down. At least I have five. So I'm better than they are. I'm doing great over here. I can feel confident about my religious obligations. We get into comparison. We get into competition. We get into this, this stupid dynamic where we, we look around and, and, and maybe we even look at ourselves and go, I am clearly better at my purpose than these other people are or I am clearly worse at my purpose than these other people are and that's not the way it was intended to be and you can put all kinds of things on this list as examples over here Um, but right away when it comes to let me throw one out there because this causes tension Um, we are instructed we are guided in God's word to be a witness a testimony a light for Christ we're to share our faith we're to share God's story we're to share the gospel with the people around us in life but if that's stuck over here on the religious obligation list and that's how we see our purpose you feel that tension don't you like oh i'm not i'm really not doing that But I got a bunch of other things on the list done, so I'm okay. But it creates this this strange dynamic in us. And in the midst of this disconnect between our position and our purpose is something that sits in the middle. And I'm going to call it perspective. It's our perspective. And it's a very, very vulnerable thing. It's our perspective. And this is the thing that ties together our position and our purpose. We have to deal with what's in the middle. And what's in the middle is our perspective. How we see things. How we view our position and our purpose. And so if our perspective on life is out of line, we're going to miss what God has for us when he shows us what our purpose is. Let me give you an example. I want to pick up where Peter left off last Sunday. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11, we're going to back up right away to what Peter preached about last week. This is what the other Peter, Saint Peter, the Apostle Peter, Saint, Saint Peter preached last week. The Apostle Peter wrote this. So confusing. And then we brought a John on staff not that long ago. So that just, anyway. First Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you 
as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. This is a really pivotal verse. This is a really important place for us to pause and address this whole position and purpose thing. And I want you to to note something. Peter does not write this. He does not write, Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's not all he did. He did something else there in that one little statement that I think is absolutely critical to us. He writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He adds perspective to his instruction about our purpose in life. And this is important. We can easily put abstaining from the passions of the flesh over on the purpose list and see it as a religious obligation that we have and then judge ourselves according to how we pass or fail in that area. But we cannot disconnect that from this and its perspective that brings the two together. So when he writes about sojourners and exiles, what's he talking about? What is that? What is a sojourner? What is an exile according to Peter? Um, Here's a couple of great definitions of that. Um, A sojourner, one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. One who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. It's interesting perspective. Another definition says, one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there beside the natives, but without the right of citizenship. This is perspective that bridges the gap between our position and our purpose in life. And we've, we've got to get this. So let's talk about our perspective on life, the key to fulfilling our purpose and living out our position in life, we need to ask ourselves some questions. And so I want to go through a series of questions and set up some contrasts in terms of our perspective. Okay? Question number one has to do with this Are we citizens of earth or citizens of heaven? Are we truly here in our minds, here in our hearts? Are we honestly, truly citizens of heaven? And not citizens of earth. Do you and I live our lives from the perspective that we're citizens of heaven? Or do we live our lives as if we were citizens on earth? When we've just heard it stated. We've just heard it stated. That we have no right to citizenship here. Is that who we are? Being sojourners here means that we have no right to citizenship here on this earth. But we make a lot of attempts to be accepted here. We don't want to stand out here. We don't want to be different here. We want to be citizens here in way, in, by, by way of being accepted here, by being like everybody else, by, by just fitting in here. We put a lot of effort into making sure that we're okay here in this earth. Earth's laws have more influence in our lives than heaven's. We try to fit our heavenly mindset into our earthly context when that's absolutely backwards. It's not the way that we're to view things. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 states it very clearly. Paul says simply this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, I love, as I look back on what just happened at the nine in one of our classes, um, you're going to see, and this was not planned, but you're going to see a lot of parallels here, a lot of similar context, similar verses, um, all those things. Listen, we know that we are citizens of heaven. We've just stated and learned and affirmed that we are a chosen race, a holy nation, and all those things. We're a people for God's own possession. We're his. We're citizens of heaven, but we live like we're citizens of earth which we cannot be. We can't be. That's not who we are. There's a really weak parallel here. I cannot be, as a Canadian, I cannot be both citizens of the U.S. and of Canada. They won't allow that. I can't have dual citizenship. And as citizens of heaven, we cannot have dual citizenship. We're not citizens of heaven and citizens of earth. We're one and one only. We're citizens of heaven, period. We give up our right to be citizens of earth. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a loss. It's a step into something bigger and higher and deeper and more meaningful. And there's this this contrast and this tension we're we're there but we're here how do we live that out we've got to see it that way we represent another place we're ambassadors from a different place we're not of this world and i gotta share just my goofy experience over this past week i'm i was thinking about this and uh and and a song came to mind and garth norberg where are you this one's for you um a song came to mind um we are not of this world by a band called petra and now this goes way back okay and then uh then this week our our family ministry um had a a a night at skateville we went roller skating at skateville how many of you went roller skating at skateville this week we had a blast so we get like a hundred chapel hill people to come down to skateville and burnsville and we roller skate and so my mind then goes way back to 1981 and every thursday night was christian skate at the local roller rink and we go and do all that and so that's coming down on me i got this this you we are not of this world song playing over and over in my head so i had to go and and put a a petra album on my phone and now i listen to it in the car over and over again last song i listened to when i came in the church this morning we are not of this world strangers and aliens foreigners and exiles we are not of this world we're not citizens here It's one aspect of our perspective that's vulnerable and it needs God's power. We fall very quickly into this mindset that this is home. Heaven will be home someday, but this is home right now. And so we need to fit in here. We need to be, we need to be good with this. We're not of this world. We're not of this world. Next perspective question. Are you and I controlled by the flesh or are we controlled by God's spirit? Are we controlled by the flesh or are we controlled by God's spirit? Last week, Peter talked about the passions of our flesh. He talked about money, sex, and power. Are we controlled by the desire to have more money, more stuff, more self-gratifying experiences, more control over people, more status, more affirmation from the people in our lives? What controls us? What are we allowing to control us? 
Look at those three things that Peter mentioned last week. Money. Is our money controlled by our greed or by our generosity? Sex. Is our interaction with the opposite sex controlled by our need for self-fulfillment or our desire to lay down our lives for those we love? Power is our influence in others' lives used for our own gain, or is it used to fulfill opportunities to serve others? What's controlling us? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's perspective. Remember this when we come to share communion later on. Our lives in the flesh since being saved by Jesus look different than the lives of those around us who are still lost. And Jesus desires that control in us by his spirit. Are we citizens of heaven or earth? Are we controlled by the flesh or by God's spirit? These things affect the way that we approach our purpose in life. But there's much more. Let's go on to the next question that we have. The next question is this. Are you and I living for today or are we living for eternity? Are we living for today right now? Or are we living for eternity? Are we living with eternity in mind? Um, last Sunday at the nine, we had a connecting time and we talked about New Year's resolutions and chuckled a little bit over what the most popular resolutions were the last year and all that. Top resolution this year, get the most out of life. Live life to the fullest. That's what people want this year with their lives, the most. They want to get the most out of life. So here's the question. Do we live like this life is all we have and we've got to make the most of it? Is that the way we're viewing life? Do we live like we have only one shot? And that we've got to get all we can out of this life for ourselves. Is that our perspective? Is that the way we view life? Are you living for today or are you living for eternity. Jesus showed us in his Sermon on the Mount that we're to have an eternal perspective on life. He made that very clear throughout the sermon that we spent so much time digging into. This is from part of that. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be all. Also, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Your heart can determine your perspective. Is it on heavenly things or is it on earthly things? Where is it? This reality can and will determine how you view your purpose in life. Where's your heart on eternal things or temporary earthly things? All right. Next question is this. Are we living in darkness or are we living in light? And this is a really important one that I've been thinking about a lot. Are we living in darkness or are we living in light? Or how does that dynamic work out? Because 
oftentimes I think we fail to be aware of the fact that we live in a dark world. This is the kingdom of darkness. This is Satan's kingdom. Here's the reality. We do live in a dark world. There is darkness all around us and we can't just ignore that. I think particularly in, a, in the Western world, um, when things are going so well for us and we have so much, we're not really at all convinced that we're living in darkness in any way, shape, or form, are we? If things are going great, it's just light all the time. And we get stuck there. How aware are we of the fact that this world lives in darkness? Do we know that we're living in the darkness or are things so good that we can't see the darkness? And here's the reality. The one who rules this kingdom that we live in for now is Satan. He's the one who rules it. This is Satan's kingdom. It is a dark kingdom. But he, being an angel of light and a deceiver, makes us think that we're living in light. He tries to do that. He tries to convince us that the world is a light place and we should just ignore anything else. It's light here. It's beautiful. Everything is great. Mind your own business. Enjoy the light. Get more light. It's deception. It's deception and we're taken in by it. I want to read from 1 John chapter 1 just a little bit about what, uh, what the Bible says, what John had to say about our life in the light, in the darkness. Listen to this. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 7. John writes this. He says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light that is in Christ, our position. But we walk in the light in the midst of a dark world where we'll find our purpose. We are living in light, but we're living in light in the midst of a dark, dark world. And I don't think anybody would argue with that. Look around, look at the pain and despair and sadness and hopelessness and loneliness and fear and anxiety and all those different things that that come with this dark world. How much of this are we just ignoring? You know, this week I had the opportunity to uh, to minister to a, a family in uh, who's who's going through a very difficult time, a time of crisis right now. A young man in their family attempted to take his own life this week. How hard is that? He was in a coma and praise God after much prayer and this I think was unexpected. He came out of his coma and he came out well. He came out talking and eating and doing the right things. And I'm thanking God that he's Back, that God didn't just let him go, that it didn't end in death. But where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Because he wanted to die. And he asked um, that we pray for him this morning. So can we do that right now? Let's pray.
Father, how your heart must break and hurt. When someone that you've created in your own image, when someone that you love unconditionally and long to see brought back into your family, reaches the point where life is so bad that he just wants out. God, I want to lift this young man up to you and ask that you would speak directly into his life. That you would speak to him of your love. That you would pour out your grace on him. That you would, Father, just supernaturally fill him with hope. That you would open his eyes to who you are. That he would see a perfect father. That he would see a loving shepherd. That he would see the plan that you have for his life. A plan to prosper him and not to harm him. To give him a future and a hope. God, will you bring him up from this deep, dark pit and set his eyes on you? Father, will you open our eyes to the darkness all around us? Oh, how easily we just ignore it because our lives are full of light. Things are going well. Father, teach us to love like you love. To see the world the way you see the world. Please take care of this family. Speak to this young man. Continue to work. Thank you for bringing him back. Thank you for giving him a fresh start. Guide him each step, each day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, Chapel Hill. This is why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Do you get that? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Well, if the light's living among nothing but light, it has no purpose. We are the light of the world. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a journey. We're going to take a journey through the Lent season together. You've heard us talk multiple times about this thing called the Jerusalem Mandate. And now for the season of Lent, we are going to dig deeply into that whole picture, that whole vision. You live next to people. I live next to people who need Christ. So how do we do that? What does it look like? How do we get past the things that keep us from hitting that one on our list over here? How do we get to the point where where we have a vision and a deep, deep love for our neighbors and we can't help ourselves? We have to reach them. 
We're going to walk through uh, a series of steps that we've put together Things that we've experimented with here in the church with a group of people here. We're going to share stories. We're going to share perspective. We're going to share successes and failures. We're going to talk about what it means to love your neighbor. And for the whole season of Lent, we're just going to walk through it step by step. And during that time, because this is what Lent is, is really focused on, there are things that we're going to cast off during that time. Things that keep us from carrying out the mission that God has given us. And the whole thing is just going to climax at Easter with a declaration of God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And his son gave his life. I'm excited about this. Be ready for this. Be praying for this. The, see, the, the Lent season starts this week, this Wednesday. Be praying for this journey for us as a church. This is so important to us. That's coming. We're the light of the world, Chapel Hill. And in light of this reality that we walk in light in the midst of darkness... What else about our perspective needs to be addressed? Let's look at the next thing. The next question is this. Are we living for self or are we living for God and others? We have to hit this. This is a perspective that has to be in order for us. There's just no question. This is a perspective that determines where we are in our maturity. Do you understand that? The immature live for themselves. The more mature you get as a follower of Christ, the more you live for God and for others. There's no question about that. Jesus, of course, was asked what the greatest commandment was, and his response was what? Love God and love your neighbor. It was all right there. He made it very simple. He made it very clear. These are to be our priorities in life. And all the rest of his law is summed up in those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Listen, if we're living for ourselves first, anything that the Bible says about living holy lives, which is what Peter's going to get into in 1 Peter, is going to be weighed against whether or not it will benefit us. Go to this list over here and we go, I know I'm supposed to do this, 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 and this. First, I'm going to take care of myself. And if I have any time left, if I have any energy left, if I have any resources left, then I'll hit some of the things on this list. And from a selfish perspective, we can always justify our failure to carry out God's plan for our lives. We simply believe sometimes that he just wants us to be happy. And so we go after that. He wants us to love like he loves. God first and then others. And his love for us is enough. His grace for us is enough. It's sufficient. There's nothing that we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Nothing. So God says, love me and love your neighbor. That's it. Stop worrying about yourself. Seek me first and everything else will be added to you. Don't worry about it. Are we living for ourselves or are we living for God and others? 
more perspective. Are we living as slaves or are we living as priests? We've talked about this. Recently, we've talked about our, our role, our identity as priests. Peter's written a lot about this in the, in the verses that we've looked at recently. So what does that mean to us? Is it just theology? Do we actually believe that we are identity? We are priests. Do we believe that? Can we see the world from that perspective? Listen, it's not an arrogant thing. We're not to back away from that and go, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to call myself a priest. Isn't that kind of presumptuous? That's not what's going on here. We are priests. Do we see ourselves that way? What did Peter say in in 1 Peter 2 verses 5 and 9? Peter addresses the church as a holy priesthood. Do we honestly believe that? Are we seeing life from that perspective? I've said plenty about this already. Now what's left for us to do is see ourselves as priests representatives of God's temple, people called by God to make spiritual sacrifices to him daily, people called by God to bring truth and light into this world, people called by God to care about his children and about the lost and about creation. If we're just people trying to get by in life, we've chosen to be slaves to this world and to sin and to self that's where our allegiance is. The Bible makes it clear that we serve either God or Satan. There's no middle ground. We don't get to just waffle back and forth there. It's one or the other. So serve God. Serve him as his priests, as his holy dwelling place, as a people set apart for his own possession. That's who we are. One more contrast that I want us to consider this morning is simply this. Are we living on vacation or are we living on mission? How do you view life? Is this a vacation or is it a mission? And I'm talking 24-7. I'm not talking about just little times here and there. Why is it that the church typically sees mission as this special calling for the select few? It's not. Oh, I don't see myself that way. I don't have that gifting. I don't have that, that calling. I'm not one of those people. I'm pretty certain that when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he was talking to all of his followers. Would you agree? He is. He was. Paul wrote another all-encompassing statement in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we, God's family... Or his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship to walk in the things that he's created us for. But in here is this disconnect. Yes, we're his workmanship. Dang it, I have to do this stuff. Right? This is the vulnerable spot. We are his workmanship. Created for, again, not the end. He didn't stop it. We are his workmanship. (laughs) Close of the book. Created for the works that he designed for us to do. He has a purpose for us. Realistically, when God was preparing our work for us to do, do you think he just sat down, looked off in the distance, whatever galaxy he was looking at, sighed? (sighs) I just want them to be happy. 
And that was his sole purpose? Was that where it ended for him? I don't think so. Or was there more likely something much more profound on his mind? Can we possibly consider that he showed us in the life of his son, Jesus Christ, what this is supposed to look like? Jesus was on mission. Can it be any other way for us? No. Are we living on mission? 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We've heard a lot about our position, our identity. We're going to hear a lot more about our purpose, the works that God has in mind for us, the way to live holy lives. But we can't allow the disconnect between the two to continue any longer. It just can't be there. We are positioned in Christ. Our purpose is to be like Christ. And the only way that those two become one is the reality that it is Christ in us that will do this. It's Christ in us. Because we are citizens of heaven, we abstain from the passions of the flesh. Because we are controlled by the spirit, we live spirit-led lives Because we live for eternity, we invest in eternal treasure. Because we live in light, we shine into the darkness. Because we live for God and others, we don't worry about ourselves. Because we are priests, we look for ways to constantly represent the one whose dwelling place we are. Because we live on mission, we carry out the work that God has created for us to do. Our lives flow out of who we are. Can that be our prayer this morning? That our lives flow out of who we are. Out of our identity. We are a holy nation. Therefore we live holy lives. Can we commit today to stop seeing things the other way around? We do not do religious things to obtain our priesthood. We are priests. We live holy lives. That's the reality that God has set up for us. We are a royal priesthood because of what God has done for us. Let's invite him to live through us in ways that we've never even dared to dream. Our holiness, our priesthood, our identity was purchased for us. Do you remember that? It was purchased for us on the cross. Where Jesus took our place. And this Jesus is the model of priesthood that we've been given. There's our example. Yet another reason to come to the remembrance of communion with a heart filled with deep gratitude. When you come to the table this morning, I want you to remember that you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. And I want you to remember that you are the light of the world. This is our identity and our purpose. Now, will you submit your perspective to God and let the two come together again? Think about that as you come this morning. I'm going to ask the elders if they'll come now and prepare to serve communion. Um, And Matt, if he'll come and lead us into our time of worship as we partake together.
Um, this was already explained, but if you are a follower of Christ, come to the table. You're going to find some bread there, a cracker that represents the body of Jesus Christ. His obedience, the fact that he went so far is to lay down his life to die for us. And you're going to find the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed to cover our sin, to make us holy, to make us clean, to bring to us the identity of priests. Come with that on your mind this morning. Let's pray and then we'll partake together. Father, I thank you this morning for the identity that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for all of these things that you state in your word about us. Thank you for the fact that they are true. That they're not just nice things for us to think about, some nice image for us to put up on our wall and say, yeah, that's who I am. That is who I am. I am in Christ. And I thank you that you have a purpose for our lives. You have not, you have not just said, now that you've got your identity, coast, enjoy it. Just, just get the most out of life that you can. I just want you to be happy. God, you, you make us content. So much deeper, so much greater than just being happy. And we find our contentment in the purpose that you've created for us. The works that you created long before we were even born. But God, this morning we admit that there's, there's perspective in there that separates these two. Where one becomes great theology that we say amen to and the other becomes a list of things that we have to do. That we're not very good at. So God, bridge the gap this morning. Fill it in by changing our perspective. Help us to see ourselves and our life and the world and each other through your eyes. Father, we come now to remember. To remember what, what it took to make us who we are. We come with thanksgiving for the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.